Thank you for listening to the Revivify Church podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and speaks to you from wherever you're listening. All right, so today you're going to need your you're going to need your notepads, you're going to need your pens, your paper, you're going to need your smartphones. I'm going to talk a lot about the things today, and again, some of this is going to some of this is going to mess with you. Um, it, it, but I want you to understand. I believe God is setting us up for a move in 2020 that this church has yet to experience. I really believe that because we're going to be able to see what God's doing, see where he's going, and we're going to step into it. Amen? And so uh, just before service, I was, it was in my office. I was praying, and, and uh, the music was thumping. I just was wanting so badly to get in here, and I just really felt like I needed to spend a little bit more time in prayer with God. And this is really what I felt. Is that 2019 has been, as much as it has been a good year, it has also been a very detracting year. Um, many of us have had things taken right out of our very souls. You believe that? Anybody experienced that this year? Uh, we've had some upsets. We've had some shockers. <laughs> we've had some things happen that oof, we didn't we didn't see coming. We didn't perceive it. We didn't think that would ever happen to us. And and so it, it, you may have seen this meme where it's it's the the person standing there and they're made up of blocks and all the blocks are missing, you know. And and it's being pulled out of the very fiber of who they are. And this is what I really feel today in this service is that some of us have had so much taken from us that we're standing there very hollow, even in a service like this right now, and you're you're feeling empty. And you're feeling disconnected and disjointed because you've had so much taken from you. And through that process of taking from you, you've bought into some lies of the enemy about your existence. You've bought into some lies of the enemy about God himself and about the church and about the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. And so I want to reestablish that you're called of God. That he has a plan for you that is blessing. That his thoughts and ways are so much higher than our thoughts and ways. And that what he has planned for us is so far beyond anything that we could hope or dream for. Anybody ready for that kind of living? That kind of blessed living? Amen? Yes, absolutely. And so that's where we're going in 2020. And we're going to next, the next, this is actually the, the beginning of the three, three last Sundays of the month, of the year. And we're going to be talking about vision a lot, and and but we're going to start somewhere that's going to be a little a little uncomfortable for some, and 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 we'll get through this real quick. And like I said, we'll be out of here two o'clock. That'll be good. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'm still joking, guys. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Did, did y'all serve Scopo today? Because y'all should be good. I've had mine. That's my jet fuel. <clears throat> All right, so I want you to, you stay seated for this. I want you to turn to Proverbs 29 and verse 18. And again, my, the title of, of the beginning of the series uh, is Christmas. It's all about the heart, all about the heart. In verse 18 in Proverbs 29, it simply says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, we, the, the English Standard Version that's up there, it says, Where there is no prophetic vision. The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And so I truly believe 
that without vision, that yes, we do perish. We do cast off restraints. We do allow ourselves to, to, to blur the lines, if you will, or fall left or right of, of the, uh, into the ditches. And, and we forget our way and we forget why we do what we do in our walks with God and our relationship with God. And so uh, in that, many of us, many of us have flawed ways or distorted views of the church and distorted views of giving and the distorted views of serving and, and why we did what we did yesterday. Can I tell you, there's some folk that run up in here yesterday demanding that they get their gifts. It happens every year. And what's even crazier is we have folk come up here so appreciative for their gifts and they were just tears in their eyes and they were just probably had a smile on their face for the first time in months, maybe perhaps years. Leave and go home, wherever home was, only for us to get a call because their neighbor saw them toting in gifts and said, where'd y'all get all that? Up there at that Revivify church. And then they called our administrator and said, where's mine? Did they not? And so through that, we, 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 again, that's kind of a block being taken out of us. And so we get a distorted view of what it is to give and a distorted view of what the season really is all about. I want you to look at Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And it says this. Everybody say it with me. And keep going. Keep going. Let me ask you this. What's the theme of this these set of verses? Giving? Everybody say giving. Okay, let me, let me ask you something. Did you notice that it did not say one thing about money? But what's the first thing that goes through our minds when we hear give? Money. It's all about that. Ba- I mean, all about that money. It's... It said to give. But this applies to every area of our life because giving is all about the heart. There are many arguments for, uh, for or against giving in the church and as there are people in the church. That's how many arguments there are. Everyone's got their opinion. But listen, there's another set of verses where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, yes, I hate to say this, but God is after your money because that's where your heart's at. Because he knows if he can get your money, he's got your And so, if you have a problem with giving, with serving, with blessing others, whether it be of time, or whether it be of the almighty dollar, or whether it be of a car, or whether it be of clothes, then you've, you you've actually have a heart problem. You see, many pastors are afraid to, to talk about this kind of thing because they're afraid of losing attendance numbers, and so they teach it in complete error. They don't want to teach it from the standpoint of what scripture says so they fear man more than they fear God and I don't want that kind of church and what I saw yesterday we don't have that kind of church amen 
And so what I'm about to share with you today and in the weeks that are coming is, is, is it absolutely changed my life. But uh, let me say this. In my study of generosity, in my study of giving, and in my study of really what this season uh, is all about, I've seen my own errors in my generosity. And I'm, I'm correcting them. Not everyone's going to like this, and not everyone's going to stay with us when I'm done, and perhaps leadership will even look different when we're all said and done, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I want to live a blessed life because I want to do it right. And if you want a life that blesses and can be trusted with the reputation of God, then I believe this series is going to absolutely transform our life into a life of obedience with God. And I think we'll get to the point of giving like we've never given before. Notice I didn't say money. I said giving. Giving. In Malachi, you said, oh boy, here it comes. Let's go ahead and go there. Malachi was the last book of the Old Testament. It actually preceded the 400 years of silence, meaning before God shut up, his last word was Malachi. His last prophet was Malachi. I want you to hang with me here for just a second. He said this, verse 1, Look, I'm sending my messenger. He'll prepare the way before before me. Then the Lord who you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? And who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he'll be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes and he'll sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable, everyone say acceptable, sacrifices of the Lord. And then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem and he did as he did in the past. And at that time, verse 5, I'll put you on trial, and I am eager to witness against all the sorcerers and adulterers and liars, and I'll speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Say, he does not change. Say it again. He does not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob have not already are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? And then God says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for this whole nation has been cheating me. Now, now listen to this. Let's, let's make this real easy. God could have told them anything that needed to change about them to prepare them for coming of Jesus. And the thing he pointed out to them was what? He didn't say, you've been committing adultery. And there was a lot of that going on. <laughs> you've, been, you've been robbing The local convenience store. You've been cheating on your taxes. No. He even could have said, you hadn't been in church in four weeks. No. He said, the one thing you need to do to get ready for my coming 
is to get back to tithing and give an offering. You say, oh boy, I knew he was going there. Just hang on with me. We've all heard the cliche in times past, first things first. And I think without having to define it, we all get the basic understanding of what that means. Do we not? And in a biblical view, there's a ton of truth about this, about this phrase. In fact, 500 verses deal with prayer. 500 verses deal with faith. And more than 2,000 verses deal on the subject of wealth and giving. Jesus talked about wealth and giving, uh, 16 out of 38 parables. And so, so clearly it's a biblical standpoint that we need to understand and know how to handle what we're doing. In fact, wealth is actually a test from God. And how we handle our wealth in our lives reveals our priorities and loyalties and affections. In fact, it directly dictates how many of the blessings we will or won't experience in our walk with God. And so why are we talking about this day? Because many people are confused about giving. They're confused about what it means to give. And, and again, the first thing I say, you, you, you went right there, is, oh, he's talking about money. Yes and no. But yes and yes. Giving. Because here's the thing, this is what I know. 20% of the church actually serves the church. We got a church of 350 people and 50 showed up yesterday to serve our community. Talking about giving. Now, before you turn me off, and some of you may already have, I, I, this is a life-giving, a very liberating truth that I've come about in my life. And I've experienced this, and I've experienced it in great detail, up and down and all around. I've, I've tested God just about every way I know how to test Him, but doing this and doing that. And, and I've come to some understanding about this. And I'm going to make a deal with you that at the end of these, this series, and again, today we're starting off with this, but we'll end this Sunday with this, and we'll go on to something more about walking and living out our relationship with God in the holiday season and beyond next week. We'll make it very easy next week. We're going to have little candles and, you know, we're going to sing whatever, Christmas musical and all that good stuff. We're going to have a great time, okay? And, but understand this. I'm going to make a deal with you. If you haven't gotten anything out of this and, and, and this just doesn't make any sense to you, then you can tune me out. In fact, you can find another church, find another pastor, find someone else to talk to. I, I don't care. You, you don't have to be mad at me and don't worry about me getting upset. It, it's okay. I understand. And understand this, last year, uh, the beginning of the year, this year, we, we did a tithe challenge. We did a giving challenge. Y'all remember that? It was a 90-day challenge. I said, if you give for 90 days faithfully, that at the end of 90 days, if you're not have a more blessed life, then I'll give you every bit of your money back, guaranteed. Can I tell you, not one person came and asked for their money back? But here's what's funny. At the end of the 90-day tithe challenge, our giving dropped 44%. Y'all missed the whole point of the 90-day tithe challenge. It was supposed to continue so the blessings of God would continue in your life. Okay, yeah, what? Okay, but that's okay. I'm not mad. I'm good. We're good. God is blessed. God, is, God has had folks that don't even attend church send us money. God's had folks that don't even attend this church come and serve with us. Okay, so it's, it's all right. All right, so Exodus 3, verse 2. Let's, let's get to this. Consecrate all the firstborn, which, uh, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. God says the firstborn is mine. It belongs to him. And in fact, he says it 16 times in Scripture, the firstborn is his. 
Exodus 13, 12. You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. That's kind of rough. But every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, I'm glad he said, if you don't redeem the firstborn of your man-child or your people, then break their neck. I'm glad he did not go there. Okay? So it's vital that we understand the principle of the firstborn. According to the Old Testament law, the firstborn was sacrificed or redeemed. There was no third option. So every time one of the animals delivered his firstborn, we were to sacrifice it, and it was to be, or, or if it was ruled to be an unclean animal, you had to redeem it with a clean animal. So you had to sacrifice another animal in its place. And so the clean firstborn had to be sacrificed and, un, and the unclean had to be redeemed. So let's follow this out in the New Testament account. John the Baptist was doing his thing, baptizing folks. He looks up, he sees Jesus walking towards him. And in John 1, 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John rightfully and accurately defines the role of Jesus here. because he, Why? Because J- J- Jesus was God's firstborn. He was clean, perfect, and unblemished in every way. We know that because if you've been around church for any length of time, you've read those scriptures. And in the context of mankind, we were exactly the opposite of Jesus. We were unclean, we were imperfect, and we were full of blemishes. Anybody believe that? Yesterday I had someone telling me, man, y'all are, y'all are, y'all, y'all are nominated for sainthood. Man, they were throwing it on us, and I felt so uncomfortable. I finally turned around, I looked at them, and I said, All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. She said, Leave it to the pastor to put me back in my place. Listen, on our best day, we're dirty. We're, 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 we don't deserve salvation, people. We don't deserve what God's done for us. And so He came as a sacrifice, He redeemed us. And so in the context of the firstborn, when we read in Exodus 13, every clean firstborn animal had to be sacrificed, but every firstborn unclean had to be redeemed by providing in its place a clean sacrifice. Do you see the symbolic connection there? Now, Jesus Christ was God's way of giving of his first first fruits or tithing in faith before we ever believed. Why? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait on you to say, yes, I'll accept and then die for you. He gave first. And so we give our first fruits, our tithes, we give our our service to the church on Sundays and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So we give of who we are, our resources, our minds to the church, to the house of God. Much in the same way that God gave in faith. In faith. And before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. In fact, God gave Jesus in faith, according to Romans 8, 29, in order that he might be the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Firstborn. Among many brothers. God didn't wait to see if we would change our mind about him and repent and make ourselves worthy of sacrifice. Why? Because God knew the principle of first things first. God knew the principle of first fruits. You give in faith first. And in Egypt, the story that goes... That every firstborn of the Egyptians and Israelites would be killed that night just before their deliverance out of Egypt, the land of sin. 
Every firstborn was going to be killed that night when the death angel passed over, except for what? If a lamb was sacrificed and the blood was put up on the doorpost, a spotless lamb, no less, and it symbolized the, the, the sign of the cross because the firstborn would redeem them. And that is how you and I are saved today. By being redeemed by a spotless lamb shedding his blood for us. And so the power of the first fruit in our lives, in our giving, in our serving, in our ministering, in our helping someone out there that is less fortunate than us or maybe does not know salvation, we put ourselves in a place to give to them what we have. Does everybody understand that? Is everybody good with this? All right, I got two of you. Yes. All right. <laughs> so the power of the first fruit cannot be overstated. Now watch this. It's been said, any first thing given is never lost, and any first thing not given is always lost. And what we withhold from God, we actually lose. And what we give to God, He redeems it. Matthew, 20, or Matthew 16, 25 says, For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The first belongs to God. We can give to God the first of our time. We can give to God the first of our finances. And we can give to God the first of our service to the church. And that is what tithing, that is what giving, that is what offering, that is what serving other people is all about, is giving to God first. I'm going to give to God first and trust. Watch this. You give the first. The first redeems the first clean redeems the unclean. If I give to God first, he redeems the rest. And when a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it is not possible to know how many lambs will be born to that female lamb. Again, we don't know. So what do we do? In faith, we give that one first and let God redeem the rest that should come after. God didn't say, have nine lambs first and then give me the tenth. He never said that. He said, give me the first fruit. We always give the first one. So it requires faith. Robert Morris said this, it requires faith to give the first one. And that is why so few Christians ever truly experience the being the blessing or finding or experiencing the blessing of a tither because we're always trying to find a way to give to God secondly. After my bills are paid. After the government takes its portion. So you can't make a deal with God and say, well, God, I'll give to you after I get out of debt. That's not first fruit. You're no longer living in covenant with him when you do that. No, he says the first portion is the redemptive portion, and the first portion redeems the rest of the 90%. Amen? Everybody with me still? Y'all going to sleep yet? Sure? Okay. Y'all going to kick me out today? All right, let's move on. So let, let's extend this into some more practical ways in our life. Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is. Now, I realize in the world of, of, of all that we live in, some folks work on Sunday. I, I get that. And, you know, listen, vacations and sickness and all this. That's okay. I get that. That's, listen, somebody put on, on, on Google uh, uh, um, whatever the other day. What is it? 
No, it wasn't Facebook, it was Google. It was some kind of Google description about our church. It said, man, I love the church, great praise and worship, but that pastor said, if you don't attend church every Sunday, you might as well not come. I never said that. So I quickly and nicely corrected the guy. Because so. I don't believe that. I miss at least four Sundays a year. Two of them with my bride and two of them with, I don't know, you know, preaching out. I, I don't know. So it's, it's so important that we come to church on Sunday. And yes, we do encourage faithful church attendance. Why? Because this is your community. This is your spiritual community. And when you come on Sunday, you are actually tithing the first portion of your week. Okay, it's not because I just want to see attendance numbers. Because here's a statistical fact. When our attendance is packed out in here, like every seat's full, the giving is down by 40%. So it's not about money. Not about money. In fact, the less people we have, the better giving we have. Because they all sitting around going, boy, this church needs something. We got a gift. <laughs> hey, nobody here. It's just the way it is. All right. Exodus 23, verse 19. The best, or meaning the first, of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Not only does the firstborn belong to God, but the first fruits belong to God as well. This verse goes even further and says that the, the first of the first fruits, first of the first fruit is what God wants from us. And so this argument, now let, let's, let's get into the money side. This argument that it's gross versus net, I don't tithe on gross. I tithe on net. Okay? And many argue over this, but if it's after the government gets theirs, it's not first fruit anymore. I'm sorry, it's not. Because here's the, th here's the thing. If, somebody, if, 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 if the mortgage company says, how much do you make? Do you give them your net? Oh, I make 50 a year. You don't go, I make $38,316.42 a year after tax deductions. Because you have no way of figuring that. It doesn't work. You give first. And when you, when you tithe on your gross, when you give on your gross, that is the first fruit, the first of the first fruits. You say, well, I, I, just, I, I, I just don't. Listen, it's not our fault that the government doesn't trust you to pay your tax bill because you know you would never pay your tax bill. Right? Who would pay your taxes if it wasn't forced? Right? Just be, y'all yeah, go ahead and laugh. Okay? I know it's tight in here. Okay, talking about money. People show get funny when we talk about money. So it's not the last of your first fruits, it's the first portion. And he says that you shall bring it into the house of the Lord, your God. Not to someone on the street, not a television ministry, but the house of the Lord, your storehouse. You must always give to your storehouse first. Proverbs 3, 9, let's move on. Honor the Lord with, the, with your wealth and with the first fruits of your, all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. How many want your house bursting with goodness? Bursting with blessing, bursting with a move of God because you have entered into covenant with Him. And, and let me say this, I'm not talking about this because I want a new house or a new truck. or a, Listen, I, I, I got a problem with pastors who drive $100,000 vehicles while people in their church are losing their homes and cars. I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. I don't care how wealthy their church is. And I don't care how many books they write. 
When is enough enough? Let me tell you when. When you no longer depend on your money, but you depend on God. In the Old Testament, the people were farmers, so they gave of the increase of their crops and livestock. And today, we give of the first fruits of our paychecks. It says to give the increase, to give the first fruits of all our increase. Now, let me get something that's real touchy. You said, God, hadn't it been touchy enough? We're going to end here in about 10 minutes, okay? Now, watch this. In the book of Joshua, you may recall that Jericho was the first town that Israel would encounter in the conquest to inherit the promised land. How many is ready for the promised land in your life? Do you realize every one of us come to that place? I think multiple times throughout our life, we come to that place of promised land. Okay? What was significant about the promised land? It had everything they needed. It said it flowed with what? Milk and... And I don't even like honey. But I want to go there. Okay? Because it's not honey. It's just the significance of it. Okay? Now watch this. Jericho, the town of Jericho, the walled city, was the first town, everyone say first town, which made it the first fruits of the promised land. Joshua 6, 17. And the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Uh, The King James, uh, it it says, accursed. Accursed. A-C-C-U-R-S-E-D. Now watch this. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all that were that are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest that when you have devoted them to take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So what's he saying? Don't touch it. Don't touch, the, don't touch the tithe. Don't touch the, the, the first thing. Why? Because when you do, you make the whole camp sin. Now watch this. Jericho occurs, set aside for destruction. Tithe is in the same way. Because tithing is also the thing devoted to destruction. It's devoted to God. Not to a man. Not to a, a stage. Not to a particular church. But to the house of God. It is to be set aside to the Lord. And one man touched the tithe. His name was Achan. What happened? Achan saw the robe, saw the gold, saw the silver, saw all the neat stuff, grabs a handful, right? Runs back to his tent, digs a hole, lays a carpet across it and says, I'm set up for life now. The next battle that Israel goes to fight, the next city, the next territory to conquer, they send just a few men because they're like, they're amped up. Man, do you see what God did to the walls of Jericho? Y'all watch what happens next. They get there. They start fighting the enemy. And 36 men are killed on the spot. They tuck tail and they run back across to Jericho. They're like, Joshua, what's going on? Why has this happened? And Joshua's mad. They're renting their clothes. It says, you know, when they got mad, and they're putting on sackcloth and ashes and going, God, why? You told us to do this. And he says, because Israel has sinned. He never said the man who sinned. He said, Israel. What's he saying? One man touched the tithe and he caused the entire congregation to be cursed. That's hard, isn't it? 
So let me ask you, which one of you are causing me to be cursed? That's one of the nervous laughs. <laughs> Honey, did you write the try check? Not me, preacher. We just did it online, right? Just right then. Right then. So it's, watch this. It stopped their progress forward. They had to stop at that moment and say, whoa, we can't move another inch. Something's not right. And so they started trying to figure out who it was, and they finally got down to Achan. And here's the thing, funny thing. Achan is the one who did it. But guess who suffered because of it? Everyone. And guess who even suffered more? Because if you follow the story out, and this is where it gets bad. Not only did they stone Achan, they stoned his wife, his kids, his camels, his horses, Fido, and the feline creature that was sitting up in their tent. They killed every one of them because they touched the accursed thing and brought a curse upon the nation. It stopped their progress forward. One man touching the tithe stopped the progress of the church forward. So let me ask you something. Are you causing the church to be inhibited from its mission? All right. So again, stay away from the tithe. Don't touch it. Many have said, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Read Malachi 3.6 again. For I, the Lord, do not change. Tithing isn't a law. It's an unchanging principle that was before the law. Well, tithing's under the law. No, that's not true. That is not true. It was actually before the law. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, the symbol of Jesus, long before the law was ever written. So tithing actually predates the law, comes through the law, and according to Scripture, never leaves. It stays intact. There are a lot of principles throughout Scripture that stay intact. And you better be glad they do. Because if the principle that you hold to says that tithing was other than a law, well, so is adultery. But does your wife mind? It's getting deep up in here. So is lying. But do you go around lying? Perhaps. Well, I'm under grace. Really? Y'all ready for this one? Not even my notes. God just dropped this on me. Here's grace. Watch, watch this. Here's grace. Perfect picture of grace. The law says, don't commit murder. Does everybody agree with that? Ten commandments. Original ten commandments. The law says, don't commit murder. Everybody believe it's wrong to commit murder according to the ten commandments and the word of God. Good, I'm glad we established that. Whew, I'm, I'm safe now. <laughs> Begin to wonder. Security team, let's go. Grace says, don't even hate your brother. Grace actually extends beyond the law. Grace says, not only will I not commit murder, I'm not even going to hate my brother, even if he is a Georgia fan. So all you Alabama haters, y'all better take note. Jesus don't like haters. Or rotten tomatoes for that matter. All right. Grace says, now watch this. The law says give, tithe, bring offering. 
Malachi, okay, Old Testament. But grace says, I'll do even more. We'll talk about this another time. But he goes on to say, yes, you ought to tithe and those things you ought to do, but you shouldn't have let the other things be undone either. So tithe plus do more. That's grace. Grace says, I don't care what color you are. I'm not going to just settle for liking you. I'm going to love you. Oh, somebody, come on. Come on. So here's the big difference. Tithers say I'm blessed. Non-tithers say I can't afford this. Some people say, well, I can't, man, I can't serve. I'm just too busy. I, I, I can't, man, I can't come to church three out of four Sundays a month. That's just too much. There's lake days involved here. There's deer hunts to be held. Listen, y'all realize it's the only set of antlers I've seen all year? I love hunting, but I have to buy the shirt just to see a set of antlers. Watch this. Just to prove to you that it predates the law. Genesis 4.3. In the course of time, everyone say course of time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the, the firstborn of his flock. And after their fat portion, and, uh, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard, respect for Abel, but his offering, and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So God has regard and respect for Abel, or Abel's, but not Cain's. Why? Because the secret lies in the first few words of this verse. In the course of time, Cain. In the course of time means he waited. He went and harvested everything first, spent it, and then decided to bring an offering. Where Abel let the firstborn happen and immediately offered the firstborn. All right, let's move on. Leviticus 27.30, And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. I understand we're not just talking about money, people. I want to get to where we've got 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of our church serving week in and week out, serving our community. Yesterday, what I witnessed here was so amazing and so incredible. A few minutes left here. So awesome. That I sat here walking the floors back and forth, talking with people, and having fun with the kids, and watching the gifts leave this place. And I began to dream, what would it be like to have 90% of the church show up? And what would it be like to turn this Adopt-A-Kid program into a city-wide deal? What would that be like? But the only way it can happen is if every one of us get on board and really serve the body of Christ. Really give. Say, man, all you preachers do is preach about giving. I used to hate that statement. But actually, I like it. Because I heard it as this. 
Pastor Robert Morris was asked, so how many times a year do you preach on giving? How many Sundays? He sat back and he looked at me and he goes, actually, I preach every Sunday about giving. And they were like, what? God, no wonder you got so much money. He says, no, you misunderstood. He said, what you meant to ask me is how many Sundays do I preach a year on money? He said, you asked me about giving. He said, every Sunday I preach about getting. Why? For God so gave, so loved the world that he gave. The gospel is all about giving. And guess what? If you got any kind of a marriage, it's all about If you have a job, it's all about you give work, they give. So everything in our life is about giving. Everything. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, I, I, I. All right. Let's close. Y'all ready? Let's go home. So is God really first in your life? Why don't you ask yourself that question? Is God really first in your life? Or are you hedging the bet and trying to control your own narrative? I'll give to God when I have time. I'll give to God when my paycheck increases. I'll, I'll, I'll bless the church when I'm done on vacation. Are you really giving to God first? The best test would be to view your bank account, my bank account. What does it look like? Get my check is the first thing that comes out of my account, my tithe and my offering. How many Sundays a month do you miss because you're too busy gallivanting across the country? Taking three-day road trips just because, well, Sunday's a great free day. How well are you committed to this walk with God to make sure that you're refreshed each and every Sunday so you can go out and do what? Give a word to somebody out there who desperately needs it. So I want you to understand this is not about money. It's about the heart. And this Christmas season, this is what I've noticed. 2019, right now, our economy is better than it has been in I don't know how many years. And it ain't because of one guy. Let's just solve that right now. Okay? It's called a cycle. Y'all get ready because the downturn's coming. <laughs> ain't no blonde-haired man going to save us. Okay? He ain't going to save us. Let, let, me, let me say this. In 1998, this is an old statistic, but I can promise you it hasn't gotten any better. The body of Christ collectively outside of America earned $15.2 trillion. It gave to all ministry-related causes 
just in dollars because we have no way of, of, of quantifying serving time. It's, it's, it's hard to quantify. So along with their serving time, they gave $270 million. This is all Christian activity outside of the United States, worldwide, globally. They gave $270 million. Isn't that amazing? Here's the problem. That's only 1.8% of its earnings. Well below a true tithe. In America, watch this. In America in 1998, we earned $5.2 trillion And we, oh boy. And we gave $92 yes, million. In America, that's 1.7%. Here's what's amazing. The United States is the most wealthy country in all the world. And the most poorest countries collectively gave more than the United States. That's just in dollars. Again, we can't quantify serving. We don't know where that, that number is. So can we do better? people left here yesterday with Christmas gifts that they had no hope of receiving and they went back to houses in Augusta, Georgia with dirt floors you realize they went back to homes with no doors on them at all blankets covering it to try to keep the cold air from coming in most went home to, to bedrooms with no beds in them Why is that happening on our watch? It shouldn't. Jake, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Malachi 3 tells us to bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me put me excuse me to the test says the Lord of hosts this is the only place that you have permission to test God in the only place in all the scripture that you can actually test his faithfulness he says this I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing that there is not room to receive one version it says until there is no more need how many would like to see a church where there is no need yeah yeah so let me ask you this hands back down how many have needs right now that need to be met financially spiritually go ahead you raise your hand don't be afraid your family has a need how about any mental needs that you have or are aware of. Yeah. If we do what God says, He says there will be no more need. Could you imagine a church? Watch this. Could you imagine a church where every time someone walked in with a tumor, it disappeared?
<laughs> now, here's what's funny. Y'all are saying, yeah, that preacher talking big talk about tumors. Well, that's because my wife has one. Had. Who said that? Could you imagine every time someone walked in this house that was near divorce, they went home and were able to reconcile that day? Oh, come on. Could you imagine that every time there was a spiritual need that someone walked in that house, they did not leave disappointed and without a fresh touch of God? Could you imagine? Yeah, I believe it can happen. I believe it can happen. And you say, but why? Why Why is it about money? I've already established that for what your treasure is. There is your heart. And God just wants our heart. That's all he wants. And I'm sorry in this country, that's just where our heart is. I want you to stand. God, watch this. Let, 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 let. Oh, never mind. God, write this down. You can Facebook this. You can tweet this. You can TikTok this. You can Instagram this. And you know there was such a thing, TikTok. Now I go down the rabbit hole every night. Everybody say, God doesn't need me to give. Preacher, I think you just messed your notes up. No? Say it again. God doesn't need me to give. But he does need me to be blessed. Why? Because a person that is blessed has issue being a blessing oh my god help me god to be a giver of my time my resources my heart my love my forgiveness oh my lord come on somebody come on it's time the church of 2019 become givers like we've never been before not of what is left over but what is first church do you want to be a giver a real giver a real tither a real offering giver come on a real sacrifice come on do you want to be that today we hope you enjoyed this week's message if you have any questions or would like to know more please visit www.revivify.church